second reading is from the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 14, and we're reading from verse 5 through to verse 14. That's the Gospel of John, it's around page 1050 somewhere. Reading from verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may be glory, give, bring glory to the Father. You may, ask for, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That is the word of the Lord. Well... Jesus is saying, I am the way. So today's big question that comes out of that is simply this. Is your faith and your belief in the triune God strong enough to place your unwavering trust in Jesus? See, this is what Jesus is now confronting these men with, that they are to become his apostles he is laying it on the, these people, the disciples, that they need to have a faith that is that strong, that they will fully and unquestionably trust Jesus. But let us pray that we do and we will have all of that. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we come to you to ask that you will indeed open our hearts wide to your message today, that what we learn maybe even changing our lives, changing the way we see things, but more importantly, Lord, that we will be changed in how we see your Son and how we live our lives in respect to understanding who he is. Give us great insight, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a strange, yet for us as Christians, there is an understandable disconnect when we speak to people about God. You can speak all day about God and people for the most, for the most, will tolerate you, tolerate. But as soon as you mention Jesus, you have now crossed the line of acceptability in the world. Now you're offensive. You and I also know, I should fully know, 
that you cannot separate Jesus from God and neither can you separate God from Jesus and neither can you separate God and Jesus from the Holy Spirit. There are three parts of the one God and it is impossible for us to accurately explain how that actually works. It is beyond our capacity to understand. All we know is we can know it and we can believe it because Jesus said so. To have that sort of level of trust, however, you must have the Holy Spirit to guide you. And you must have read the Bible under his guidance that you understand what he has taught us. But yes, you can also question the Bible, but you do not have the wisdom. None of you have the wisdom to reject it, but you have the ability to question the Bible. And when you do, it is always, I hope, in the understanding that you will gain more wisdom and gain more understanding of who Jesus actually is and understand the truth that's contained in the Bible. And in today's text, the disciples do just this. They order to know more. They are questioning Jesus on a number of things and have been in the last few passages. But here now, doubting Thomas, as we know him, said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how do we know the way? Just minutes before Thomas asks this question, Jesus had told them, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? He's just told them where he's going. He's going to the father's house, going to heaven. At this point, the disciples, of course, do not have the Holy Spirit in them, and they really are struggling here. They're struggling to comprehend that Jesus is going to heaven to be the very place where he came from in the first place. And considering that Jesus has taught them to pray in Matthew 6, he's taught them, this is how then you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. They know the Father is in heaven. They should know. You should know. So it's no secret that the Father is in heaven, that Jesus is going to the Father's house. It's really quite simple. So when Jesus answers, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then we need to understand this answer is, in fact, much broader, much more encompassing than anything anything that Jesus has said before this in the three years he walked with them. You might even say that that claim is more offensive than anything he has ever said. What Jesus just said would amount to the most exclusive claim ever made by a human being, whilst also being we humans need most of all. The answer is given is what you need. As Christians, we obviously believe that the Bible teaches is the truth, and therefore we also receive this claim. We should, in fact, receive it with rejoicing and thanksgiving because it gives us everything we need. See, before the sin entered the world, Adam and Eve enjoyed a threefold, threefold privilege in their relationship with the Father. Firstly, they had a close communion with God. 
We just read in chapter 3 of Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You can just imagine it. Every day God would come into the garden, walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, talk with them, be with them, live with them. God would be spending time with his creation. And secondly, they knew God and they knew the truth that had flowed from God. And thirdly, they possessed spiritual life. See, in the garden prior to the fall and the entry of the sin into the world through the actions of Eve and Adam, death had not been present and the spiritual life they had was eternal. There were no deaths which is exactly what you and I will inherit when the Lord comes back to get us and bring us back into heaven. So instead of enjoying communion with God, Adam and Eve experienced alienation from God. And instead of knowing the truth, they fell into error and falsehood. And instead of possessing life, they now would learn about death all due to the promise God had made in Genesis 2.17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And we know that words matter. We've been saying this for some time now. God did not say, if they eat from it. Notice the words. He said, when you eat from it. He knew what was in their hearts. God did not create human robots, so Adam and Eve had free will in those days in what they wanted to do and what they chose not to obey the Lord God or whether to obey the Lord God. They had created them. That was what brought sin into the world and what took free will away from you. With regard to salvation, we do not have that free will. We are Adam and Eve was born sinless. They were indeed sinless. But they brought sin into the world. Therefore we are now born with that sin in our lives. We have free will certainly to choose whatever you want to do with your life. But we will also live with and we will suffer the consequences for the decisions we make. Just as Adam and Eve had to live with the consequence of what they did in that day in that garden. And this is a human condition they had left with us. We are alienated from God from birth, ignorant of the truth, condemned to spiritual and eventually a physical death. That is our lot. The glory of Christ's claim in being a divine answer to our problem on each of these three levels. What he's just told us is what we need. It's what you need. Instead of alienation, we know there's a way to God. Instead of ignorance and error, we learn the truth. Instead of death, we've been given life in Christ. Factually, this one sentence in your Bible is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. When we then reach verse 7, Jesus is making it crystal clear to them what they have already should have firmly stored in their hearts and minds about who he is. He says in your 7, 
If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, when we go back into the chapter 10 in this Gospel of John, in verse 30, Jesus told them, I and the Father are one. If you see Jesus, you see God. If you see God, you have Jesus. And you have the Holy Spirit. What Jesus told them is that if you have seen him and believe on him, you all actually have seen the Father. Which then makes no sense of the next questions that Philip brings. Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. See, they've seen all the miracles, they've heard all the teaching, they've seen, they've heard the voice of God saying, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. They've been there, done all that. And if you look back over the question placed on Jesus by these disciples here, we find that the answer to all their question, the one answer is, it's Jesus. If they had asked about alienation, Jesus is the way. If it was a question about the clarification of what the truth is, then Jesus is the truth. And if it was about death, and the separation from God that they wanted to know more about, then Jesus is the life. But what are the practicalities for you and me, knowing all this and understanding what that means? Well, let's start with the way. This is about how we got from our sinful ways to be with the Lord God. This is how it works. It is through Jesus. It will require from each of you a recognition that you are in yourself, totally unable to go to heaven by your own means, simply due to the fact that you are steeped in sin, you live in sin. And since your needs need to be, your sins need to be paid for, need to be atoned for, and you have nothing to offer to eliminate it, eliminate the debt that you have amassed through your sinfulness, then Jesus is the price It's a sinless man that died for the sinner. But we know that too from the Bible. Next we have the truth. What exactly is the truth that Jesus speaks of? Well, he's not really pointing to a truth somewhere. He's not going to talk about the truth as something. He simply claims is, I am the truth. So what is the truth? The truth is God. Just as God is love, God is life, God is, well, God is everything. Simply, God is. And we know from the Bible, that is what he calls himself. I am. That is God. God is personal. God is not a thing or some cosmic power out there. God is a person that walked on earth in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And he knows our suffering, he knows our sorrows. 
We know that Jesus is the man of sorrows. And it's through Jesus that we know this because he told us. God is holy. You won't know this unless you know Jesus. You just can't see God's holiness in the world around you. If we know that we can see in creation the enormity of God. But if you and I were to form an opinion of God from observing the world around you as we see it, you could even be excused for concluding that he's a bit of an aloof and uninterested God because he has let things deteriorate. But in Jesus, we see a holy God that cares deeply about all aspects of his creation, all of that he created. And God is, of course, mercy. To be merciful means to love. And if we are told of this incredible love God has for his people, why else would he send his son to die for you? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans 5.8. He also teaches that, that he is full of grace as well as the fact that he will never ever let you slip from his hands once you are his and called. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Romans 8.39. And when you then add what Paul continues to write in Romans 3.11, there is no one who seeks God. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you, you would not be wanting to be with God. When you have a whole new understanding of the fact that it is God who seeks you, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sought you out. He had to. God came to people willing to die for them, die in their place for them. Peace, joy, goodness, self-control, and all the other blessings that we have of a Christian life, a personal, holy, and loving God, that is is what Jesus has shown you in himself. And finally, we have the life. It is worth being reminded that the entire Bible, from the first to the last, is a witness to the fact that natural man is spiritually dead. Left to our own devices, we will walk in darkness, have no love for the things of God, no fear of the Lord, no concern for his glory. The self, the person, me, is the center of my universe if I don't have the Holy Spirit. They live for the things of the world and are dead to the things of heaven. Let me put it another way. The one who is not in Christ is already dead but may not be aware of it. Dead for their sins. Recall in John 3.16 is, of course, now appropriate. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus isn't just the life as we know it. Jesus is eternal life, never-ending. And now to the last three verses quite possibly some of the most difficult for a Christian person to fully comprehend, or at least difficult for us as Christians to put into practice in our lives. In verse 12, I tell you the truth. Jesus starts this whole thing 
by telling them that what he is telling them is trustworthy and continues to set some conditions for that trust. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. That's a condition. To have faith in Christ holds within it that you trust in Christ. And what you like Jesus will uphold the will of the Father and be obedient to his commands. See, that's the difficulty. Be obedient to the commands of God. In the Ten Commandments, or you read the Beatitudes in chapters 5 to 7 in Matthew, can you uphold it? It's difficult. Impossible. He will do even greater things than these, Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father. Well, of course he's going to the Father. He is now going to send the Holy Spirit from there. The Holy Spirit goes out from the Father and the Son. I can tell you what you will be doing, this greater than what Jesus did. When he says we will be doing greater things than what he did, he's actually saying you will have his Holy Spirit dwell in you and through the Holy Spirit will have God to guide you each and every day, every hour of the day. That is incredible when you think of it. The gift that you have. And you will be required to pray. And not just pray, mind you, but believe in the prayers that you pray. See, that's not that easy either, is it? Jesus warned all of us to pray godly prayers. Prayers that are like-minded with what we have learned in the Bible as a guiding of his spirit. See, we can't pray for a Ferrari for tomorrow or an aeroplane or a private jet. It's not in the Bible, neither is it in the mind of God. So when you pray, pray for what God wants for you and believe it because it will happen. In verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. These are incredible promises by Jesus. Think of it. What we can deduct from all this. You've been called individually by name to be his witness and your prayer should be that the power of God in his Holy Spirit will give you power to your witness verbally and otherwise. That when you live your life, that life is the witness of the greatness of God. That what you say is what God wants you to give the world to understand who he is. So that anyone who hears or sees your witness will be forced to do either of two things. They will either accept what you're telling them or they will reject it. Today's text is about knowing who the Christ is and what the promise that he has given you. So the question you will have to answer will be something like this. You can word it yourself, but this is the essence. Is your knowledge of Christ deep enough that you will be able to trust? Trust in his teaching, trust in his promises, and trust that he will come and bring you home. It's about trust. Trusting that he is the way, he's the truth, and he is your life. Are you able to stand and proclaim proudly that Christ is the way, the truth, and life, 
and know what this means in an eternal sense for you. That is who the Christ is. That is how we need to live. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we come before you to thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have placed deeply in our hearts to guide us, to rebuke us, and indeed be a blessing to us. We ask, Lord, that as we read your holy scriptures that we will, we will ponder them deeply in our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to clarify all the things that we read that we will truly come to an understanding. Because when we read, Lord, about your son Jesus and his life, we then in reflection of that will see ourselves, Lord, and we will see our need for him. We pray that all this will be crystal clear for us, that we will live a life that reflects that understanding in full. This we pray in his holy name. Amen.